so just to remind you, the last three, last three times I've, I've spoken, I've gone through uh, uh, the first three parts of this. So the first week was about dreaming of a perfect church, i.e. one doesn't exist. Uh, the second week was reminders about the cross, the cross of our salvation, the cross of Christ. Uh, and last week, when I spoke, I talked about community. I talked what it actually really means to be part of a community that, that um, uh, has difference of opinions, difference of thoughts, and things like that. Uh, and how do we work together? Uh, how, how do we actually act as the body of Christ with all those various different things? Uh, uh, and so if you haven't listened to that, I recommend you catch up it online. Um, this week, I'm, I've given it kind of the, the subtitle of an uncomfortable apocalypse. So hopefully that puts a, little, puts a little thought into your head. What does he mean by that, an uncomfortable apocalypse? Well, hopefully it all will become clear uh, as I work through um, this, this sermon today. The kind of the big idea of this sermon, I'll read it to you. The big idea that is around this sermon is this. God has given us a comfort that is greater than anything culture other religions or our own preferences and desires can provide. He's given us a comfort. Thank you. Somebody thinks that's true. If you believe things are true or you want to say amen, please shout out loud. All right. Amen. There we go. Should we try practice? Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Ace. Awesome. Fantastic. And when we experience uncomfortable, we can trust in, the pr- in God's promises of what is to come. We can trust in God's promises as to what is to come. And we're going to read Revelation. We're going to read a bit of Revelation, okay? So maybe if you have a Bible, or indeed, if you look on the second page of your notes, you will see that bit of Scripture there. But don't read it just yet. Because I want to remind you that we are all part of a bigger story. And there are, there are reasons behind some of the uncomfortable aspects of the Christian faith. There are reasons by embracing challenges that we're presented with, rather than running away. Instead, if we, if we face them head on with courage and bravery, I think that we're, we're able to grasp a fuller picture of who God is and the redemptive work that he's doing through his church in our world. All right? Now, we are brave. This is our, our, our thing for this year. You make me brave. God makes us brave. God makes us bold. He gives us courage. It's through the challenges that will inevitably face us, and again, an example of a challenge this morning, an uncomfortable one, that we're able to see just how big our God is. Just how bold his Holy Spirit makes us. And ultimately, to find our rock, and I love the fact we sang that song, our rock, our bed rock, is Jesus. Say that again so you can say amen because it's worth it. Our rock, our bedrock is Jesus. Excellent. As we handle challenges of our Christian walk, as we commit to being a part of his church, which is represented by what? His local church. I so represented by us, Freedom Church, as well as other many other local churches. All we have to do is remember why it's worth it. And I'll tell you why. And that's because of the apocalypse. <laughs> now, I can't just leave that there, can I? I, I can't just leave that there. Can't, there you go. That's, that's your sermon for today. It's because of the apocalypse. Um, it sounds very dramatic, that sentence, doesn't it? And, uh, so let me unpack it uh, a little bit. Now, in the ancient Greek, you're going to learn a little bit of word stuff here, okay? So, in the ancient Greek, the word apocalypse 
actually meant something a little different than what we generally think about today. And when we hear the word apocalypse, I bet what first comes to your mind, particularly if you're of my ilk anyway, you'll you'll imagine doomsday prophecies, cataclysmic events, bad uh, B-movies, and and books that tell us that the world will end on a certain date. Many of those books strangely republished with a later date in mind. When we think of Apocalypse from a Christian perspective, we might in fact be drawn to the book of what? The book of Revelation. That's the last book or the last prophetic letter in the Bible. So it's dead easy to find. You just flip to the end. Now, a more suitable rendering of of that title, the book of Revelation, would be this. It would be this. The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Yeah? The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ which means the revealing of Jesus Christ. The word apocalypse, written in Koine Greek, and that's that ancient Greek that I said we were talking about, uh, that word is apocalypsis. And apocalypsis means a lifting up, an unveiling, or indeed a, a revelation. So that's why it's sometimes called, well, it is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, because it simply means an unveiling of things. I don't want us to be scared of revelation. I think that's what I'm trying to get at this morning, what the Holy Spirit wants to instill in us. Don't be scared of the book of Revelation. In some of those verses that we're going to read together in a moment, we see that God is unveiling to his people, that's us, okay, what's to come. And, and he tells us how this cosmic story ends. And guess what? It isn't with doom and destruction. It isn't with doom and destruction. It's actually that, that this side of creation will finish with a joyful, long-awaited wedding feast. And that we, the church, were most definitely invited. And do you know why? Because we're the bride. Wouldn't be much of a wedding celebration if the bride didn't tip up. Would it, Bethan? Wouldn't be, wouldn't be good if you didn't show up in a, few, a number of months' time, would it? Um, life especially life within the church, which may be uncomfortable now. But it's, it's important to know that God has promised eternal joy to those who have received him as Lord and Saviour. He has promised eternal joy to those of us who have received him as Lord and Saviour. Now, let's read this, this Bible translation together. I've left some words blank so that you're able to fill them in. Isn't that good, eh? All right, okay. So, Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9, uh, and this is from the Passion Translation. Then I heard what seemed to be the thunderous voice of a great multitude like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty peals of thunder. I love that word, peals of thunder. I had to look it up. Peals of thunder. So it's like rolling. It's a waving thing. It's, it's again and again and again. So there's these mighty peals of thunder crying out. What are they crying out? Let's say it together. Let's do that better. Let's say it together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. There's an exclamation mark on the end of this in the Bible. So I'm assuming it's quite dramatic. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory. Because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen. 
shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear. And the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of his holy believers. Then the angel said to me, write these words. Wonderfully blessed are those who are invited to feast at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are the true words of God. That doesn't sound much like doom and gloom, does it? Sounds like something amazing and astonishing and I can't wait to be a part of it. Listen, a bride doesn't show up to a wedding wearing jogging bottoms and a t-shirt. At least I've never seen that. Not saying that might not happen. Again, looking at Bethany here at the front, she might want to do that, and that's entirely her prerogative. But I haven't seen that. Um, uh, generally, what do, what do brides generally wear uh, at a wedding? Can you, can you tell me? A, a, a wedding dress or a wedding gown, I've heard the name. Has anybody heard any more weird and wonderful things that a bride might have worn? A what, sorry? A meringue. Okay, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> they look like meringues. Okay, all right, all right, okay. Well, on generally, on the whole, uh, a bride will spend hours, maybe more like days, possibly weeks, mm, could be months, preparing. I'm going to not look at Bethan all the time. This is, this is wrong. Anybody else engaged so I can stare at you? Um, <laughs> she prepares what? She prepares, prepares the perfect outfit, uh, the, the hairstyle and, and jewellery so that she can look as nice and as best as possible and as beautiful as possible for who? Her groom. That's her groom. Yes, yeah, she's looking. She's, she's doing herself up because she wants to feel beautiful. But she wants her groom to think she's beautiful too. And the church is no different. The church is no different. In these verses, uh, uh, the wedding of the lamb, it says what? It says this. It says, his bride has made herself ready. Wow. The church, however, doesn't prepare herself by putting on makeup and choosing a nice hairstyle. Do we? We don't do that. Uh, Or to put it another way, doing good works and striving to be better. I think we'll always fall short if we're solely responsible for making ourselves ready. Rather, in verse 8, it tells us this. It says, fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear. It's been given to her. She hasn't had to go shopping for it. This lavish gift from God is one that we must accept. And here's my weird weird question. Why wouldn't we accept it? If you've been giving something beautiful as that, why would you ever say no? God has spared no expense. And uh, he's made every sacrifice, every sacrifice necessary to prepare this beautiful dress. A dress that showcases his love for us, his bride. We, we've all been called to to make ourselves ready as individuals. And this can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. It it requires some life-changing sacrifices. I was talking to somebody just yesterday who who confessed to me and said, I'd love 
to say yes to Jesus and to, to receive him. But I'm just concerned I'll, I'll keep on sinning. And, and then what I've done is, is hypocritical. Well, do you know what? We all will continue to sin in some arena somewhere in our lives. But the answer I said to him is, we keep a short account with God. We keep coming back to him again and again and go, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to try and do better. I'm going to not do that. That might take a sacrifice, but I'm going to not do that. Because it might, we might need to embrace some of the th- things. We, there might be some things we want to avoid, things that I've been talking about throughout this series. So, you know, it's uncomfortable to do life with somebody you might not like. It's okay to not particularly get on with someone. Do you remember me saying that? It's all right to do that. But love them like Christ loves them. And want the best for them. But you're not going to have to. You don't have to be, as I said last week, you're not their BFF. And nobody's, nobody's stressing you to. Nobody's pushing you to. So you might need to be in a relationship with them. And, and you might not particularly want to. But you're a part of the church and so are you. Because this is all absolutely necessary. In the end, the bride is not just you or me as individual Christians. The bride is is not even a group of friends around a dinner table talking and praying together. It's not that. But it's the church as a cohesive whole, which includes bits we wouldn't normally do life with. This should fill us with love for the body of Christ and encourage us to commit to and even grow fond of those strange people that you wouldn't normally do life with. We're, uh, to, to take part in those odd practices and beliefs of a local church community. If you remember, I, I told you that I was uncomfortable with the idea of speaking in tongues for, for, for maybe a year or so when I gave my life to Christ. And I refused to go down that route and I would look in scriptures for any evidence that tongues were over, that we didn't need to do that. Uh, and ultimately, I couldn't really find any. And, uh, and, and eventually just said to God, all right, God, I'm ready. I'm just going to speak and I'm going to see what happens. And, if you, and I've said this in other previous sermons, as I learned to speak in tongues, as I learned to access that heavenly language, light bulbs that were previously not switched on, just ping, ping, ping in my head, and things that didn't make sense at one time suddenly started to make sense because I was opening up my heart to the heavenlies. But that wasn't comfortable. And again, if I remind you, I nearly, nearly didn't continue my relationship with Kath at the back of the bus when she told me about the speaking in tongues business. I thought you were all a weird cult. Do you remember me? She's saying that. But I moved on. And I grew fond of those practices and those beliefs of this church community. And it's actually the work done in this community that's readying us for the wedding feast. Let me read you a quote from a book called... uh, I haven't read this book, but I've got this quote. And it's from a book called The Benedict Option. A strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation. By a guy called Rod... Uh, Drea, I think, the quote's in your little piece of paper there. I'll read it. The best witness Christians can offer to the post-Christian Western world is to simply be the church, as fiercely and creatively a minority as we can manage. Too many of our churches function as secular entertainment centres with religious morals slapped on top when they should be functioning as a living, breathing body of Christ. 
We will need to commit ourselves more deeply to our faith, and we will need to do that in ways that seem odd to contemporary eyes. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? It's a very pointed quote. Now, I changed, I changed the wording slightly on this quote because it's, it's a book that deals with the post-Christian nation it's talking about is, is the American nation. Um, but, but I think it equally applies to us. I think it equally applies to Western, uh, Western world. Uh, what he's saying here is that we should resist the, the temptation of comfortable, dare I suggest, empty Christianity. Where our egos might be stroked. Our best life might be uh, promised whatever that is, remembering that, it, that it's the church with all its, its uncomfortableness and struggle and frustration, that will be the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. And as I said before, church isn't a social club. The church exists for a purpose, and that, that, that purpose is to be what? It's to be the apocalypse of Jesus, that is the, the revelation of Jesus to the world. That's what we exist for. We don't exist to do nice works, to help people along, to give the, we exist just to, we exist to reveal Christ to an unbelieving world. The quote says, we are the living, breathing body of Christ. Uh, and this, this takes lives laid down before God and each other submissive to his will so that he can build the church his way awesome we've got some yeses that's good as as christians we we have we have a reason for hope that goes beyond anything that the world could imagine Again, talking to this same individual yesterday, he, he talked about hope. He said, I just, sometimes every day, just, days just seem hopeless. And I said, but that's because you've not yet given your life to Christ, where the hope then will be instilled in your heart, and you can draw upon that, not look to the world to give you hope. Yeah. We embrace an uncomfortable faith, and, and an uncomfortable church, because... We know that one day we'll be invited to, to that wedding celebration of the Lamb. Remember, the Lamb is Jesus. The event that all of creation, from, from the beginning of time, has been longing for. Wow! This, that alone, should move us to share our faith with others. Why? Because we want everyone to be blessed. We want everyone to be invited to this feast. I'm, I'm a natural introvert. Um, sorry to say, but people exhaust me. Uh, uh, and, 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 and that's part of the uncomfortable thing I have to deal with and get over, to, to a, or at least ask God to help me with. To you know, I'm, I'm leading a church. How weird is that? You know? uh, uh, whereas Kathy, on the, on the other hand, uh, by the way, don't ever now be concerned if you come around to my house. I don't want you to be there. I realize that sounds quite, quite wrong. That's not the case at all. What I mean is I can get exhausted after a while, and I need to go into a cave. And, and read a book on my own with none of you there. 
Um, but that, where's Kathy? Kathy will will die. She's like one of those energy battery bunnies. You know, it, it, uh, you, she needs she needs she needs lots of bunnies around her to to keep her going, to energize her. And isn't that weird that two of us kind of have come together uh, uh, as a couple like that? One of us introvert. I only realised I've been an introvert the last year or so. Um, you know, I'm somebody who studied acting for crying out loud. You know, I like to be on stage. You know, in front of everybody. But really, um, I, I'm just. I guess what I'm pretending is I'm on stage, I'm on there on my own and you're not watching. Um, <laughs> um, whereas Kathy would like to be part of the audience and cheering and chugging and, and all that kind of, yeah, she, she loves that. And I'm sure a lot of you, you can probably uh, relate to either of those, can't you? I would imagine introvert or extrovert. Now, where was I? I've gone off here completely. Um, yeah, what I'm saying is that, that I am looking forward to that feast. I'm a natural introvert, though, but my goodness me, what an amazing place and what an amazing time it's going to be. What a celebration it's going to be. And that, that alone motivates me to want to see my family and my friends and, and even strangers uh, come to know Jesus so that they can come to that feast with me. Wow. Listen, the angel revealing these things to John in Revelation seems to understand, actually, that we do have a tendency to lose hope and to even doubt what is said is true. Why do I say that? Because the angel specifically says to us, to encourage us, these words, these are the true words of God. So in case you doubt, he's saying these are the true words of God. We need that assurance, don't we? Uh, We need to be reminded every day that this consummation is not a fairy tale. Say that again. It's not a fairy tale, but it's a real event that will happen. I don't understand how it will happen because it will have the biggest guest list in the world. Uh, and we'll all be around some massive... T- I don't know how it's going to happen. Let's put that in the mystery box. But nevertheless, it's still going to be an event that we're all invited to and we're all going to enjoy. And I think that's a promise that, that should bring us the greatest comfort of all. Let me read you another quote. Again, it's in your uh, um, booklet there. Who's it, who's it by? Let's have a look. Okay, it's by Gret McCracken, who wrote the book Uncomfortable, which I'm basing uh, this on. Um, It says this, we are mysteriously part of a cosmic plan God has eternally known. And we have an an eternal inheritance. The, The discomfort and disdain we endure in this life as a peculiar people will be a blip in the timeline of our infinite history. That's a great line, isn't it? We will at last be the perfect church we presently long for, the unblemished bride at an unimaginable wedding feast. The dream will be real. Wow. Hmm. I've only got a few more lines to say to you guys, so maybe I will get you to talk through the questions for a little bit. Um, The wedding celebration of the Lamb is coming. It's on its way, all right? And it's the reason that we wake up early on Sunday mornings instead of sleeping in. It's why we place ourselves in uncomfortable situations instead of remaining in our comfort zones. Hope is something that this world urgently needs and desperately needs. And and we have this most awesome hope that is for everyone. And we should embrace it. We should rest in it. And most importantly, we should share it.
Let's share our faith. Let's step out. Let's stop being comfortable and be a little bit uncomfortable and continue and tend to tell or even continue to tell others about Christ in all the mediums in which you can do that. Again, I'm a big, big fan of social media in terms of uh, that is an avenue for you to share your faith. You do not know who you may be having an effect on. There is a, a quote from, I think it's the Barner um, Foundation, who, not quote, a stat, sorry. Uh, and they say something like that your social media influence is four times greater than you think it is. Four times greater than you think it is. Who knows who you will be affecting and changing? And maybe you could apply that in other places. Well, I remember I used to send out, a few years ago, I used to send out daily verse emails. Do you remember them? Anybody remember those? I stopped them after about a year or so, two years, um, thinking they weren't really having that much of a, an effect. As soon as I said I'm stopping them, I got, I got four or five emails saying, oh, that's a real shame. And just for those four or five people, I thought, do I continue? I didn't. I pointed them in the direction of other great daily verse resources they can get. But I didn't know that until they told me. And maybe that's the thing we need to be doing, guys. We need to be telling each other more stuff. Encouraging each other more. When you're doing something, don't wait until somebody's doing something wrong <laughs> to tell them what they're doing wrong. Why don't you wait until they're doing something right and tell them that they're amazing? There are so many avenues in which we can encourage one another. Let's embrace every single one of them if we can. Throughout this series, I've talked about the uncomfortable aspects of Christianity, the importance of church community, and the reason for it all. Now, this uncomfortableness can, can either push us away from God, or it can draw us closer to him more than we've ever imagined. Now, when you feel uncomfortable at church, in your life group, even in your faith, will you choose to press into it, or will you run from it? In the end, being uncomfortable can be an opportunity to experience the grace, mercy, and love of God in a, a tangible, life-altering way. Being uncomfortable is actually where we grow. Our faith is stretched. Our opinions are challenged. But these are all good things. The more that we allow the hard edges of who we are to be chipped away in community, that iron sharpening iron, as it were, the more Christ-like we'll become. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive we also do loud we give the best hugs we are family and in this house, that means we, we love. love.